Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, a European Liberal Forum project. I'm your host, Ricard Silvestre. Today I'll be speaking with Frederik Eintz. Frederik is an Associate Professor in Computer Science at Linköping University. He's a member of the European Commission High-Level Expert Group on AI and also coordinator of the European Project Taylor. And in this conversation, we're going to some major points on artificial intelligence like trustworthiness, AI as a complement for humanity, and importance of social sciences. I'm here with Frederik Eind. Frederik, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you very much. Oh, uh, looking forward to talk to you because artificial intelligence, it's one of the key topics right now. Also in one of the uh, core topics of this podcast, which is tech. But before, let's talk a little bit about yourself. As I said in introduction, you have several positions that are really interesting. One of them, the high-level expert group, it, it will blend in in our conversation. But I was interested in you to describe a little bit what is the European Project Taylor. So the Project Taylor is uh, all about uh, building a European network of research excellence centers, uh, targeting the foundations of trustworthy AI. And our approach is that we will achieve this by integrating learning, optimization and reasoning. When you say trustworthy, for people that are you know, outside this sphere where you move mostly, what do you mean by trustworthy? With trustworthy AI, uh, I mean AI that uh, abides by the, the laws and regulations that apply, that uh, satisfy a number of ethical principles, and that is also robust. Uh, so basically, this definition of trustworthy AI comes from the uh, European Commission high-level expert group on AI, where I have been a member. And I really think that this combination of three uh, requirements is really important because normally people talk about, of course, you have to follow the, the laws and regulations, uh, you have to follow certain ethical principles, but the, the added thing here is that it also has to be robust, which means that good intentions, it's not sufficient. When people think, okay, robustness, trustworthiness, um, doing, you know, the, 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 doing the operations that the programmers want them to do, but how does this relate to everyday life? So when you think about someone that it's living their life and they probably don't know that they're surrounded by artificial intelligence, can you open up a little of the curtain on that? So I think that's a very important question because most people use AI basically on an everyday basis. We use, for example, search engines. We use uh, uh, voice controlled applications. We use recommendation engines to suggest what movies to watch, what uh, books to buy, what music to listen to, and so on. So we're basically surrounded by these uh, AI-based systems. But most of us do not even uh, think about uh, that's what we're actually interacting with. And uh, I really think this trust question becomes important when uh, these systems are starting to make either decisions for us or on our behalf uh, on a more, in some sense, more critical basis. Uh, so actually one of the four principles uh, for the, um, uh, one of the four ethics principles that we have 
uh, in this ethics guidelines for trustworthy AI is uh, human autonomy, a human agency, that uh, AI should empower people. It should not uh, replace people and it should not uh, take over their autonomy. And one can then start to think about if you have an application such as a uh, try to make you exercise more or eat more healthy uh, and so on. I mean, these programs are basically designed to nudge you in certain directions, uh, which in some sense, I mean, you decide to install this application and configure it in order to improve your health, for example. But now consider the same application used by a government, for example, to do something. I mean, you could take something that most people agree is a good thing, namely say, reduce smoking or reduce uh, drug use or something like that. Uh, but of course, you can also think about, for example, reducing the amount of sugar that people eat or the amount of fat people eat and so on. That's more questionable uh, or at least less universally agreed upon that that's important. And then you start having applications that uh, potentially interfere with people's uh, lives. Uh, and then that can be questionable. You can also have things like uh, recommendations for, for example, we have seen examples of uh, uh, recommendations for jobs. Uh, and there, there was an issue because the, the system was more likely to recommend a higher paying job to a man and was more uh, likely to recommend a lower paying job to a woman. Uh, and if you start to look underneath the hood, of these applications, it turned out that it was actually the case that they were basically using uh, statistics and that's to see that all oh, women are more likely to have certain types of jobs. So therefore we suggest these type of jobs to them. Uh, and due to the, uh, the way that the salaries are structured, uh, the consequence is that you recommend uh, women lower paying jobs, which we do not want. Uh, so this is another example of uh, systems that could be seen as kind of uh, not that, uh, what should I say, invasive or significant, but still having a potentially negative impact. Absolutely. This, this, this is, these are all fascinating points and I don't <laughs> even know where to start because you just brought it to the table so many uh, so many interesting um, topics of conversation, but let's stick with one. And that is, and I, I'll try to summarize your point. And if I said, if I do it in a wrong way, please let me know. But machines should not replace human decisions. Now, what do you say to people that right now are telling us that machines are already making too many decisions for human beings. Do you think that this is just a canard or is are there any truth to it? Can we find a balance? What's your opinion on that? So I would say that the, the, what we said was that AI should complement and empower people. And I think that automating some decision making could be in line of that. So for example, assume that you're a civil servant you have a very strict uh, set of regulations and your job is basically to verify if a particular application satisfies these rules or not. To me, that's a typical thing that the computer is much better than we are uh, doing. I mean, basically checking predefined rules. Uh, so in that mm -hmm. case, to me, at least, it's, it's less problematic probably to 
replace uh, or rather to yeah replace the person to doing that particular task uh, but of course if you have less uh, or more vague uh, requirements or if there is a lot of uh, judgment required to determine if a person satisfied these uh, requirements not then it's less uh, probably less good to to automate that i think it's also very important that most systems uh, these kind of automatic this automated decision making systems today are basically recommendations which means that a human is is making the formal decision but the human is making that formal decisions based on a recommendation from an automated system. Uh, and I actually think that is the way forward. I don't see it as either people or AI, but rather how can people use AI as powerful tools to improve our, for example, decision-making capability. No, so I think there is another interesting example because you had this, uh, you, you said that oh, sometimes the machines are already making decisions. And I would say there are certain situations where we want the machines to make the decisions. For example, take the example of an airbag. Of course, we want the airbag to automatically decide whether it should uh, release or not because we don't have the reflexes to do it. Or say a pacemaker or something like that. We, we want the pacemaker to uh, make the decisions on how to regulate the, the rhythm in your heart so that it can beat as good as possible. So those are two examples where, where we prefer to have uh, automated decision-making. And actually, both those decisions are life-critical decisions very well. Or, I mean, most people would see that's a positive thing, that they are automated. Let me then continue on this topic and going a little bit into pop culture. I don't know if you feel comfortable with that, but uh, try to make here a parallel with what we see on, on movies and on television. Do you think that when you, when you say that it should work as a complement, should not be the thing that is deciding, what if us as a humanity, we decide to go that route? We'll let the machines decide for us and we'll be fine with that. Do you, do you see that happen? It doesn't happen at all. Human nature won't allow it. What's your opinion on that? I mean, I think one view on this is that to a certain extent, society is moving in that direction. And I would say that based on the fact that a lot of decision making is based on how do we do this more effectively? How do we do this more efficiently? How do we do this? cheaper and faster and so on. Uh, we also see that a lot of uh, say bureaucracy and kind of formal decision making from, from governments and so on is trying to formulate clear rules so that we as citizens can determine in advance uh, whether it's likely or not that we will get uh, the, the application approved, but also that uh, it should not really be dependent on the individual civil servant interpreting these rules. And in some sense, all of these things are driving towards uh, a more automated uh, or maybe say rule-based society. And, and to me, at least, if you already have this kind of strict, well-defined rules, to me, it doesn't really make a difference if it's a human or a machine following those rules. 
the interesting part becomes who sets the rules and uh, how are they then defined? And I think that is something we as, as uh, humans, of course, do because we want these rules to capture what society believes or what is the opinion of society uh, at this time. Uh, and therefore, I think the even if a major part of the actual kind of individual decisions are being automated, we as humans can still be in control and still be uh, deciding on on how these decisions should be made and on what grounds these decisions should be made. So we in some sense have stepped up a, 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 an abstraction level or uh, looking at these issues at a higher higher level. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, just just a question, who sets the rules and how are they defined? That is just material for one podcast on itself. I don't want to go too much into that because I want to continue in this area that you're saying about complementarity. And you do focus a lot and you on your writing uh, that is um, comes uh, many times about social sciences and humanities as something that should be part of the development of AI. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that? Yes. So I think a trend these days is that AI is expanding its scope. So, I mean, it used to be a very narrow technical part of mainly computer science. Uh, but now that we see that AI is being applied in so many different uh, facets of our daily life, it becomes much more important to not only solve technical challenges, but also understanding, uh, for example, the social and legal and economic uh, consequences uh, of these systems. And I, I really think that uh, understanding how to best use AI to to serve us uh, to actually, I mean, in what we in the, this high-level expert group say that we want human-centered AI. So we don't want AI in itself is not a goal, but a means towards improving the lives of us as individuals, citizens and uh, uh, citizens and consumers and uh, members at society and so on. Uh, and I think mm -hmm. that in order to uh, understand what works and what does not work, uh, how to introduce this into an organization uh, in an orderly fashion. And I mean, all these kind of ethical questions uh, are also, I mean, they're deeply rooted in humanities and philosophy and so on. That I mean, there are thousands of years of uh, research and uh, thinking in, in those areas that I think uh, can really enrich AI research. You are in a privileged position, as you've been mentioning a couple of times already on this conversation, being at this high-level uh, expert group. Tell us a little bit then what are some of the European Commission uh, strategies to work on this so that our listeners can know a little more and get involved. So. Uh, the European Commission strategy on AI is basically to uh, try to increase the uptake and the kind of uh, digital uh, maturity of uh, companies and organizations, so really kind of boosting 
the capacity and uptake uh, of AI uh, and to develop this ethical uh, framework, uh, ethical and legal framework for how to achieve trustworthy human-centered AI. And then there is a third pillar towards uh, dealing with the socioeconomic consequences that we uh, foresee to, to occur. And I have personally only been involved in this high-level expert group, which has been uh, given the task of developing these ethical guidelines for trustworthy AI uh, that, that we have been doing. So I think that's a major part. And I, and I really think Europe is taking a very interesting position in that uh, Europe don't want any type of AI. We have made a clear stance that we want AI that is both human-centered and trustworthy. And I think these are, are quite strong and powerful statements. And, and I've heard the, the kind of made the similarity or the analogy to when Europe introduced very strict uh, uh, regulations on the emissions of, for example, cars, and that this drove innovation into more green technology. And then when the rest of the world followed and uh, adopted the same stricter regulation, Europe had an advantage that we had already mm -hmm. developed uh, a lot of this technology so that uh, we could uh, gain on this. And it, my impression is that the commission tries to do the same here, that in some sense by uh, through regulation, forcing or driving innovation towards more trustworthy and human-centered AI. Okay, let's stay here for a couple more minutes because this is really interesting. What do you say then to having other um, blocks of countries or even just countries by itself like China or even United States with tends not to regulate too much the tech, um, the tech business? What do you say then if Europe can, if the European Union can get a little bit behind or it can get a little bit of dis disadvantages because we just want we want in the European Union want a robust and trustworthy AI, while the other uh, companies outside the European Union are just going you know bananas and doing whatever they want to with the, with their machines. So, uh, do you think that you, you just said, well, we'll lead by example, and we hope that sooner or later people will understand that our regulations are the good ones. But do you see an imbalance in there? Can can in there can there be an imbalance? So I think there are a number of things one can talk about here. I mean, one thing is that there could be, say, short-term uh, disadvantages of the European strategy, but I think the long-term advantages is far outweigh. We do see that there is a, a global, I would, I would argue there is a global interest in uh, a more value-based approach because we can see the OECD is coming up with their AI principles. Uh, IEEE have also similar uh, AI principles. The World Economic Forum is also uh, pushing for this kind of more value and principle-based approach to, to AI. So I actually don't think it's just Europe that think this is important, but uh, a large part of the world. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's one aspect. I think the second aspect is, I mean, there is... Uh, I mean, Europe is in some sense actually doing reasonably well. If we're looking at AI research, Europe is actually publishing more, more AI papers than 
US or China. Of course, our uh, change rate is not as good. So of course, China is accelerating tremendously. Uh, mm. But I think Europe is have a much broader approach to AI. Uh, we realize that machine learning is, is very good and very important. But there are other uh, aspects of AI that will also be important, especially if you want these trustworthy AI systems. And, and that's one of the reasons why uh, I and, of course, our others argue that uh, we, we really believe that the future lies in the integration of machine learning and reasoning and other AI techniques. Because in some sense, what we want is both the flexibility and adaptability and in some sense, the power of machine learning, but we still want the guarantees, the kind of formal guarantees and uh, properties that we can get from more reasoning based approaches. And also, of course, this uh, higher degree of explainability, trying understanding how the systems make decisions and on what grounds to make decisions and understanding uh, more of the underlying, which is a reasoning or, or um, why they make these decisions. Fantastic. Now for um, getting to the end of our conversation, but I would love to have you back because there's a couple of topics that we didn't touch and they're really, really important. But then for people that are listening to us and the conversation was fascinating, a little bit technical, but people want to know what the future brings. Do you have something to tell those people? What is in your mind the, the path in the, in the short to medium period that European Union and humanity in itself, are we going to go with machine, machine learning, with artificial intelligence? So I, I, I mean, definitely believe that AI uh, and of course machine learning will be a very important part of basically all all products and services. And I see that I mean I think that's uh, something we really see these days. And one thing I've heard from from companies and so on is that they say that the difference uh, today compared to previous um, uh, AI hypes ha is that it actually provides value. Uh, without too much uh, super deep technical knowledge. And in some sense, it's becoming easier for companies to leverage uh, these AI and machine learning techniques. And, and I think that they, they will really bring value. Uh, and the second thing is that I also believe that what we will see is uh, this kind of AI together with humans or uh, this kind of augmented intelligence or AI-assisted system which supports us people in making better decisions and dealing with all this complex and uh, really tough problems that we are facing. And uh, third part is that I, I, I truly believe that this kind of more value-based uh, approach that we want trustworthy and uh, AI that uh, satisfy the kind of ethical requirements that that we have is is also the future uh, so personally I, I i believe that ai will play a major part in basically all aspects of society uh, and i i think it will be a, a, 
a force for good. I mean, if you take a concrete example of Sweden, uh, where I am, uh, we have a major challenge, for example, in the public sector, because if we look at the number of people in the public sector, uh, and I've seen um, studies saying that basically 75% of all, uh, everyone in a single year that point uh, have to study either to become like a, a teacher or work, I, I either work in uh, teaching or in healthcare, 75% of everyone. And of wow. course, that, that's not doable. And there is other figures saying that basically almost everyone needs to be employed in the public sector to kind of keep the same uh, density of employees as we have today. Uh, and I would say that it's not even possible to do this uh, manually. I mean, if we're going to, we have to automate uh, as many tasks as we can in order to make sure that we can live up to the expectations uh, of citizens when it comes to service from, for example, the public sector. Uh, of course, the kind of private sector, they are already automating as much as they can uh, based on their um, driving forces. So, so I really think that this is uh, both necessary and it will improve both prosperity and but also the quality of life, I would say. Uh, so so I, I'm very uh, positive uh, and optimistic, but of course we have to make sure that the, the AI and the systems that we develop truly uh, work for us. And that's why this trustworthy human-centered AI is so important. Well, you just open another box <laughs> and that is the, that. <laughs> oh, it's, it's perfect. No, no, no. But this box, because that is something also that is a debate that we should have as a society. And that is um, when people, when a lot of people are afraid of automation and what will that bring? And actually, you mentioned one of the pillars is the socioeconomic consequences. So we have a lot to talk about. But for now, we're going to end here. But I'm going to ask you, please, to tell our listeners a publication, a book, a, a writing of yours, something that people can go and look for and know more about this and get involved. Um, that's a good I question. I know you have <laughs> many, yes. But <laughs> so, I mean... In I think the, probably the best is go to my uh, webpage uh, at Linköping University, and there I have uh, uh, all my publications are there. I think it's also good to look at the, the Taylor webpages. They're very rudimentary at the moment, but we're uh, we'll add more content there later. Um, so, and you can always follow me on Twitter. So, uh, Fred Kinds there. Uh, so, there are many opportunities to to learn more about what we do. Perfect. I'm going to put all these uh, <laughs> links on the description of the podcast so that you can only not only follow uh, Frederick work, but also, uh, as he mentioned, you're on Twitter. And uh, that is a great place to uh, continue to follow uh, the work you do. For now, I'm going to thank you so much for coming to the podcast. I would love to have you back. So I will keep asking you to come back and keep talking about this really fascinating topic. But for now, uh, Frederick, thank you so much for being on the pod. Thank you very much for the invitation and the opportunity. I look forward to future conversations. Hello.
Hello, it's me again. I hope this podcast finds you well, social distancing and in lockdown if necessary. And on that, the European Liberal Forum moved some of his events to the digital realm and using the Zoom digital platform for this kind of gatherings. And one of the events we have, it's Liberties in Lockdown. One of those you can follow next the 15th of April at 9.30 in the morning, Central European Standard Time. And the topic of the event is going to be, of course, the impact that COVID-19 is having right now on civil liberties, but also on economic issues the effect is going to have on the European Union and for Europeans. So to know more about the events and how to register, you can always go to our webpage, which is liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is going to be all for me now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and let's keep spreading liberal values and ideas. The Liberal Europe podcast It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. Mm-hmm.